I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch Podcast. Since Mark Zuckerberg provided hundreds of millions of dollars to assist governmental agencies in administering the 2020 elections through the private Center for Tech and Civic Life, state legislatures have considered, and in many cases taken action, to prevent future billionaires from privately funding the administration of elections. This week, Capital Research Center President Scott Walter testified on one such bill before the Virginia State Senate. He joins us to discuss the Zuckbucks and legislative responses to them. Also joining us are Hayden Lodwig and Parker Thayer, two of my colleagues who have put in yeoman's work crunching the numbers on where exactly the Zuckbucks went. Uh, welcome, everybody. Hello. Thank you. Thanks. So since it's Scott's testimony that sort of um, is, the, is the cause of our convening today, uh, what brought you before the state senate? Uh, well, I was invited to testify as an expert. Uh, it, the actual testimony itself was a tribute to real American democracy, which is to say all sorts of people talked and uh, it was not a particularly neat and clean process. But uh, the, I was able to get the gist of my point out, namely um, out-of-state donors should not be running Virginia's election offices, in my opinion, as a Virginia citizen. Uh, and while it benefited one party in the last presidential election, uh, you know, this could easily flip and the other party could pull the same kind of trick. Uh, and personally, I don't want either party or its donors or their supposedly nonpartisan nonprofits running uh, elections. That doesn't seem very American uh, to me. And to my surprise, because this was the Virginia State Senate, which is still controlled by the Democrats. Um, right, the, the Virginia State Senate was not up for election in the 2021 state legislative elections. Yes. So it is still the resistance, the, the resistance Virginia of 2019. Yes, very much resisting the new governor, certainly uh, Glenn Youngkin. So, uh, and since in 2020, this, in, the Zuckbucks uh, did benefit the Democratic Party in Virginia, as the great numbers that were crunched by Hayden and Parker here with us on the show uh, demonstrate beyond a shadow of a doubt. Um, you, I personally didn't expect the committee, which was about nine six uh, Democrat over Republican, I just assumed that they w wouldn't go along with this. But uh, in fact, unanimously, all 15 members voted for the bill I was testifying on that uh, would ban election offices from using outside uh, non-governmental funds uh, for core election work. Now we'll see if the so, Senate as a whole passes it and if that House passes it, uh, uh, but interesting uh, development. Yeah, so let's, just, let's, I guess this is for everybody. How do the Zuckbucks work? You know, some people have heard about them. You know, they've been discussed. We've discussed them on this podcast uh, with Molly Hemingway and with uh, Bill Doyle. Uh, but how, how exactly do they work? How does money get from, you know, Mark Zuckerberg's checkbook to all these local elections? Well, if you follow the river of cash, um, as best we can tell, it goes back to a community foundation in the Bay Area called the Silicon Valley Community Foundation. 
And at this particular place, what is what is it for? Just to just to help our listeners who might not be familiar, what is a community foundation? What separates it from like the Ford Foundation? Unlike a regular foundation, a community foundation is basically a a big pass through, a big pot of money for. Uh, local wealthy philanthropists to give to local charitable causes, in this case, the greater San Francisco Bay Area. And at this particular community foundation... So uh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a li- I'm a liberal, I live in Pal- I made a bunch of money in some Silicon Valley something or other. Uh, you know, I have millions of dollars to give away. I can do it through this community foundation rather than setting up... Yeah, in order to usually do something like support the arts in your community. So... At this particular community foundation, Mark Zuckerberg has a very large account, at least $2 billion over the last decade, uh, flowing into it from him personally. Well, we traced all the money coming to CTCL from the Silicon Valley Community Foundation. It's one big pass-through, moving to CTCL. And from there, CTCL repackaged all of that money in the form of a few thousand grants to county and city elections officials across the country. And they could vary greatly between states. Georgia was in the neighborhood of 45, 46 million dollars. It was the biggest we found. Whereas Virginia was less and than four Georgia million dollars. Being, Georgia being the sort of core state in 2020 to decide control of wasn't the decisive state in the Electoral College, but it was the decisive state for control of the state. That's right. So, in other words, uh, this money was not distributed equally among all parties in all states, but rather was very targeted not only at populist states, but specifically at battleground states. And within those battleground states, at major cities uh, like Philadelphia or Atlanta. In fact, in Georgia, we found a staggering amount of the $45 million that went to Georgia went to all of the uh, counties that form a collar around the city of Atlanta, where almost all of Joe Biden's votes were located in that state. So it was a very targeted campaign that can be traced back through this one particular Chicago-based nonprofit, CTCL, to a California pass-through, and then from there into Mark Zuckerberg's uh, pocketbook. I see. Parker, do you have any, do you have any Not particularly. Hayden summarized things very well. That you know, once it once it came through the Silicon Valley Community Foundation into the Center for Tech and Civic Life, um, it was pretty clear that uh, the money was targeted in a way that um, it would it was sent almost entirely to um, Democratic leaning districts. Even though their populations are larger on a per capita basis as well, Democratic uh, leaning districts received far more money. Uh, so it, it's very clear that the money was targeted. So, so let's let's so let's use Virginia as an example. Obviously, the largest county in the state is Fairfax. Uh, yes, Fairfax. That's right. right. Yep. Yes. And, and it has it has about a million people, which is about a, what a tenth of the state population. If you look at all of Northern Virginia surrounding D.C., it's about a quarter of the entire state's population. Okay. Yeah, and that, and that would be like Fairfax, mm-hmm. Loudon, Arlington. Yeah, that's right. Five or six counties. Mm-hmm. And then, so how how much did they get in these CTCL grants relative yeah. to uh, the rest? Well, here's what's interesting. Virginia wasn't really a battleground state, so it didn't receive a huge amount of money. It was about $3.7 million, which, again, is, is tiny compared to Pennsylvania, Georgia, Texas, etc. But... 
where that money went is totally consistent with our findings in the rest of the state. We found uh, something like 95% of the four, almost $4 million that went to Georgia, excuse me, went to Virginia from Zuckbucks flowed to counties that Biden won overwhelmingly in Northern Virginia. It's less than $360,000 actually went to about 22 or so counties that Trump won. So even though more counties went to, uh, excuse me, more money flowed to a number of counties that's greater that Trump won as opposed to Biden, in fact, the amount of money that flowed into Virginia went overwhelmingly into important Biden counties to turn out the vote. Fairfax County alone received almost so a third of all money going into the state, but despite being, you said about 10% of the population? Yeah, yeah it I looks like it has a population of 1.1 million. They received $1.24 million, um, you know, which is a dollar and eight cents per person in the county. That is, that is quite a lot. Well, and <laughs> yep. here's the and thing, too. All the people live in Northern Virginia, no doubt, and in these big cities. But the bottom line isn't about the population. It's actually about how the money was spent per capita, per person. Parker, correct me if I, if I have my numbers wrong, but I believe it was something about CTCL's Zuckbucks went to about 66 per head in Trump counties versus about a dollar eleven for people in Biden counties. By, by 66 per head, you mean 66 cents? Yeah, 66 that's right. Excuse me. Head. 66 per head in Trump counties versus about a dollar eleven uh, per head in Biden yeah, counties. Yeah, across, across the country in, in numerous states that we've examined now, Republican counties get about 60 cents um, versus Democrat counties get sometimes $2, $3 per head. Um, in the worst states, uh, Virginia, um, it's about a dollar per head in Democrat counties versus a little under or a little over 75 cents um, for Republican counties. So Virginia, even being one of the more, you know, moderately distributed per capita, um, you know, on a partisan distribu distribution basis, um, was still very bad. A lot of partisan um, intent seems to be clear. So then what... Uh what did CTCL do with this money? Or, or what did, I'm sorry, not what did CTCL do. What did the local election authorities do with the money that CTCL gave them? Well, it kind of depends on which states and which counties we're talking about, because it wasn't uniform. Well, from what we can tell from the public documents we've pulled up, there were a number of categories that CTCL allowed for expenditures from. Among these were things like, quote unquote, nonpartisan voter education, which could mean a lot of things in a lot of different places. Uh, as an aside, I found a lot of money flowing to Baltimore in 2020 that was used for this nonpartisan voter education. In fact, what it actually meant was hiring consulting firms to turn out the vote among uh, ethnic minorities, which, of course, we all know historically tend to vote for the Democratic candidate at the presidential level. Other things we noticed, too, in places like Philadelphia, it paid for extensive use of private drop boxes. These are basically ways to circumvent the U.S. Postal Service by having private collection bins with little to no oversight that do not belong to the federal government or the state government in order to collect this unprecedented surge of mail-in ballots. In other places, it simply paid for uh, more bodies to collect and and uh, record and, and um uh, churn through all of the absentee and mail-in ballots. That was very common in Fairfax. What was less common was the COVID-19 um, 
uh, protective, personal protective equipment, PPE, which was ostensibly the reason that, that CTCL was even making these hundreds of millions of dollars worth of grants in 2020. So really it was about how do we process uh, new, new ballots, how do we turn out more mail-in ballots and get them into the machine rather than keeping people safe from COVID-19 while they vote. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Mike, can I just jump in on that? That it, it's critical to, to, to really stress this point. There is no doubt, and Parker and Hayden's numbers make this crystal clear, that these grants juiced turnout in the places that were going to be most rich with votes for Joe Biden. And uh, now, so we often, when we talk in public about this, people ask about all kinds of different fraud uh, possibilities, this, that, and the other. We don't study that, so I don't claim to know, uh, you know, all these other intricate questions about the election. But here's the point about Zuckbucks. Let's just assume, and I'm not insisting anybody believe that, but just for the sake of argument, I am happy to assume that there was not a single fraudulent vote cast anywhere in America and not one vote miscounted. Now, I'm not betting a lot of money on that, but I'm happy to assume it for the sake of argument, because here's the thing. Even if that's true, no vote, true vote fraud of any kind, Zuckbucks was a scandal, an outrage, that thumbs were being put on the scale for turnout in the critical battleground states. That's not right, I mean, I mean, even me, if there was no play, fraud. Let me play that one. Let me play devil's advocate. The, you know, why why is it bad that more people voted? I mean, we had this unprecedented pandemic. We had these un unprecedented need for people not to interact. But we had record turnout in the presidential election. Are you saying that's? Let a me answer it. I like that question. Uh, it's this isn't actually about the number of people voting. Really what this is about is the role of private influencers, private interests in funding public government elections offices. In, in short, this is how we fund the machinery that makes our elections go, that, that actually works these elections. And what we found is this is a private interest that is trying to supplement the budgets that are allocated by state legislatures and local county uh, elections officials and local county elected um, officers in order to pay for elections. Imagine if it was the other way around for a moment. Imagine if it was a conservative or libertarian donor who was giving money to a, an elections official in order to juice turnout in conservative areas. I think the left would know perfectly well that that's an inappropriate use of private funds in a public setting. Well, that's simply the point we're trying to make. Nobody left or right of any political stripe has any business funding what, a, what is a, a public uh, budget that is allocated by um, members of the publicly elected officials. That's the only way to ensure transparency. It's the only way to ensure that people have any kind of trust in uh, the outcomes of our elections. Otherwise, our elections and the administrators behind them are effectively up for sale to the highest bidder. And that unfortunately includes foreign actors who would love nothing more than to spend large sums of money tilting American elections. It just presents an incredible hazard that this country has never seen before and cannot afford to repeat again. Exactly, and, and you know. Yeah, 
Parker deserves credit for the foreign part Parker. there because he wrote a good piece for us on exactly that. Zuckbucks all went to government offices, but through just two C3s. That is to say, you know, cha public charities. So anybody, anybody yeah. there's no regulation exactly. on how much can be given or who yeah. can give it. Uh, Parker, you had a couple of good examples of the kind of things yeah. that might disturb. Exactly. Folks. It's. I mean, imagine that a, a Russian oil oligarch decided that he wanted to fund, you know, turnout in South Dakota, where one of his companies was looking to build, the, looking for a permit to you know, conduct fracking. You know, I have to imagine our friends on the left would take serious issue with that. Um, it, it, it's a, you know, it's an issue that needs to be addressed, not not just because of the number of votes or the partisan outcomes, but because it, it's a public integrity issue. Imagine for a moment that, you know, let, maybe it's not even an election. Uh, imagine for a moment that private companies are allowed to provide money, um, you know, allocate the hours of a big, you know, a big three accounting firm decides that they're going to help the IRS conduct more audits to raise tax revenue. And they decide to donate man hours and people to do so. You know, I think a lot of people would take issue with that and might be concerned that the IRS was being weaponized. Um, the same thing happening with election offices is even more concerning. Well, what if it was, uh, I love this example from our friends at the Foundation for Government Accountability. What if it's a private actor who is paying local police departments to police in only certain neighborhoods and ignore others? I don't know anybody who would stand for that. That's an inappropriate use of private funds in a public setting. So it's, so it's basically the argument that liberals would make, liberals literally do make against <laughs> private prisons, which is that, you know, this, this is a core, you know, administering elections like imprisoning criminals is a core fundamental governmental act and that that core fundamental governmental act should not be administered by a private entity. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, we end up with the, the 19th century robber baron situation that growing up, I always thought the left was deeply concerned about. But apparently privatizing elections is now A-OK -okay with, with many folks on the left. And I think it really comes down to self-interest, which is very unfortunate when we're talking about a larger principle. Although, although, again, and I think is the indications of the committee vote on the legislation on which Scott testified uh, kind of points out that, you know, maybe they do see that it's not necessarily this, you know, Democrats win forever card. I mean, uh, Hayden, you did some work on, uh, on CTCL Zuckerberg involvement in the 2021 Virginia state elections, which, of course, the Democrats did not prevail. Right, it's true. Well, and I'll tell you, watching the hearings from the committee yesterday, what was very astonishing is uh, one of the Democratic senators, first, he was one of the first speakers actually, said, I don't believe that private interests should be funding elections. Elections belong as a government um, function. And absolutely, it really isn't a partisan issue, except that it was tied to a very charged election. But I don't really think most people on the left, most Democratic voters, would, would see this as a particularly partisan issue. It's really actually a, about the most nonpartisan issue I can think of. And again, I mean, the facts speak for themselves when there are 15 members of this particular Senate committee and they voted unanimously, nine Democrats, six Republicans, in order to advance a ban on the private funding of elections. I, I think the country is ready to move beyond uh, that problem that was created by Zuckbucks in the 2020 election. They don't want to see that happen ever again. Yeah, no, that's uh, and that's clearly, uh, 
you know, again, you, would, you wouldn't get that result if there was a core partisan ideological view on the left that actually the one public service that should be privatized, you know, when everything else is nationalized and, you know, there's no school choice and there's no, you know, uh, we're going to have postal banking and we're going to have what other, you know, public <laughs> banks, all these other crazy, no, no literally socialist schools. schemes. Uh, but yeah, no private but the elections, schools, that's okay. Uh, but we're going to have, but private, yeah, we're going to have privately administered elections for public office. You know, the thing and, that controls all of know, those other things. Um, so I guess uh, before I let everybody go here, uh, is there anything else that our listeners really need to know on the issue of Zuckbox and on the issue of private fund, uh, private administration? Well, can I can I say this? I I've often heard people ask the question: Was any of this illegal? Uh, and I think everybody in this call will be the first mm-hmm. to point out, or compete to be the first to point out. They say we're not lawyers, <laughs> so we can't answer very technical legal questions. But as far as I can tell, and a lot of people have looked into this who have studied the law. The answer is no, none of it's illegal. And actually, that's the genius of what Zuckbucks accomplished. CTCL managed to find something that I don't think anybody has ever tried in the history of the United States. So there were no laws against it. However, now at least 11 states have passed. Until, until and that's now. <laughs> right. If they were trying to do it in the 2022 election, for instance, uh, it would be illegal in at least 11, perhaps a dozen states. And Virginia might be the next to join them. I mean, and it's the it's the sort of the classic because I've had the same argument with people over five hundred one c four Citizens United spending. You know, it's that one behaved differently because, of course, that was a Supreme Court decision, but it ended up just being an arms race that can't both sides canceled each other out after a little while. And it, you know, with this, it seems like the what we're getting is a government response because this was sort of an exploit of a loophole um, that's just going to cancel it out. Well, and part of the, and part of the and part of the issue is that the classic. I mean, we've known for decades now that, especially on the left, there is the classic. Uh, I'm air quoting nonpartisan voter education, that just so happens to be targeted to varying degrees of uh, sophistication, groups that are exceptionally likely to support one political party and not the other. Um, you know, so they, they, one might want to crack down on that, but it seem you know this seems to be just a particularly nefarious version of that. And you know, even if it is legal to put the money into the government offices with a five hundred one c three, there is still the question of whether it is legal on behalf of the election administrators, you know, local county clerks, that sort of thing, on whether they were you know uh, improperly distributing authority over elections to individuals who legally could not hold said authority. All right. Well, thank you again to Scott Walter and my Capital Research Center colleagues for joining us. We will include a link to Scott's testimony and some of Parker and Hayden's work tracing the Zuckbox in today's show notes. That's our show for this week. We encourage our listeners to subscribe on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. Those ratings really help us find new listeners, especially if they come with a positive review. We'll see you all next week.